live from Studio 67 in Florida's Capital County. It's time to be fackish. Access granted. Good people of Florida, we are live once again from Florida's Capital County. Uh, you've got Jared and Sarah here for another episode of Fackish, and to catch you up on all of the week's happenings. Uh, Sarah, how are we doing this morning? We're doing good. Thanks, Jared. It was a busy week for us up here. Lots of events were going on, including the very own Miami-Dade County's Day. We had a blast. We hope you all did. That was a good one. We also had uh, Volusia and Marion counties in town for their respective county days as well. Uh, so hopefully our commissioners uh, had a chance to have a lot of constructive conversations with the legislature and show off their uh, their county's pride. Getting right into things, we had a number of bills up this week um, with fact testifying on a handful of these. Uh, Sarah, you want to kick us off this morning? Yeah, of course. So let's get into a big bill that we've been following, which is the local occupational licensing. If you recall, there's four bills that are addressing the matter. However, the Senate version, or a Senate version, SB 1570, local occupational licensing by Senator Hooper was heard for the first time in Senate regulated industries and a delete all everything amendment was passed unanimously and that amendment would extend the expiration date on these local occupational licenses issued by a county to July 1st, 2024. So, as of right now, it was going to expire on July 1st, 2023, unless the legislature acted on it. So local governments will have the authority to license, license occupations and collect license fees until July 1st, 2024, if this bill passes. And if it's also amended on the House side, because we haven't seen that on the House side yet, you'll recall a lot of the other bills out there for occupational licensing deal with giving you some of those powers back on certain job scopes. So this bill just extends it for one more year. FAC waived in support of the bill as we plan to work on preserving this authority. Next legislative session, if this bill were to pass and on the House side, if that expiration extension were to come up as well. So again, we're still working hard on this, potentially working next year on it, but that's the update. You know, we do this every year, Sarah, and uh, problem solved. <laughs> Big change up for occupational licensing, but at least we're seeing some sort of an extension. For sure. That was uh, that was good news, and that is in FACS policy platform, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Moving forward, uh, we saw a bad bill come up in the finance and tax space. Um, the Visit Florida program it would be getting a new look under a PCB in the Regulatory Reform and Economic Development Subcommittee. Uh, RRS2 would essentially defund Visit Florida, the state's tourism marketing uh, program, on the state side of things and put that burden on counties to keep that program alive. Specifically how they would do that is they would siphon a portion of county TDT funds, uh, TDT revenues, and put it towards the Visit Florida program. Specifically that's 2% for all rural counties uh, under a, a statutory formula and 5% for all other counties. The impact of just that alone is $75 million, give or take. And 
just as bad, if not worse, it would require a new referendum every six years to keep these TDT um, taxes, you know, on the books for counties. So counties would potentially have to go to referendum, go to the ballot every six years to have these TDT dollars continue to come in. More importantly, it would add a 60% supermajority requirement to get those passed. Uh, so this is just adding a lot of hurdles to our um, capacity to raise revenue. And important to not forget, uh, this could drastically impact county bonding capacity as well. Uh, obviously, you know, a number of counties have bonded their TDT revenues to, you know, certain projects. And I would imagine the, the bond market will, will laugh in our face if, if we present them, you know, a, a six-year <laughs> revenue source. Uh, so this this is a bad bill. This is something that we are working on. Fortunately, you know, not only did FAC staff get up and, and speak against the bill in committee, but a number of other organizations did as well. Uh, so we really, you know, brought out the cavalry to, to oppose this one. Um, and hopefully we can get this thing taken care of. And one thing I forgot to mention on that last bill, it would also sunset all active TDT provisions, you know, in on county books uh, in 2028. Okay, next up, we had a bill that we've been following very closely that has to do with local preferences. That is SB 346 Public Construction by Senator DeSigli. This passed favorably. And a little bit of background on this, if you will recall, in 2021, HB 53 was signed into law that amended the definition of public works projects as an activity that exceeds $1 million in value. And that is paid for with any state-appropriated funds. About two weeks ago on this Senate version, there was an amendment that passed that revised the definition as an activity that exceeds 315000 in value and that is paid for with any local or state funds, therefore prohibiting the application of local preferences to those projects that are over 350000 effectively preempting any local preferences above that amount. But this week, there was an amendment, a delete everything amendment that was passed, and it removed the language surrounding local dollars used. So we are very happy that they have taken that local dollar stipulation out of the bill. So now it defines a public works project as any activity that is paid for with any state appropriated funds. It does delete any dollar threshold entirely. Additionally, the amendment established reasonable time in which parties to both local government and public construction contracts have to develop a punch list, allowing up to 30 days for contracts under 10 million and up to 45 days for contracts of 10 million and more. FAC did waive in support of that amendment because it did remove that local dollar preemption that would have prevented local preferences with county dollars. So shout out to Jeff Scala. Yes. Shout out to Jeff Scala. The House version um, has not been amended to exclude that yet. That's HB 383, and that's still waiting to be heard in its last House stop, which is House State Affairs. Moving forward, uh, a committee substitute for House Bill 1343, Agricultural Lands by Representative Tuck, passed unanimously in the House Agriculture, Conservation, and Resiliency Subcommittee earlier this week. Uh, this is not one we've talked about yet, to my knowledge. But there is an important piece for counties within this bill. Uh, it would prohibit counties from levying special assess assessments on any land classified as agricultural. Uh, we are kind of in the process of developing a, a fiscal impact for counties on this one, um, but it, it's looking like it could be potentially significant. Um, so obviously we, we will be 
monitoring and uh, opposing as necessary on that one. Uh, it would also provide that construction or installation of migrant housing uh, for you know the, the large number of migrant farm workers in our state is an authorized use of farmland zone for agricultural use. Um, it does still have to meet all the local and state building standards uh, and, res- and secure, you know, a residential certificate of occupancy, uh, just like any other residential facility would. Um, but this, this bill does include that as well. That bill has also got a Senate companion, uh, SB 1184 by Senator Collins, and that one passed its first committee of reference last week. All right. And another big bill that we had up this week was HB 671 residential building permits by Representative Esposito. This bill is essentially expediting the permitting process. Obviously, we have concerns about the bill because of the unintended and negative consequences when we're talking about public safety, staffing issues, the customer service side of things with these quick approval processes for building permit applications. Additionally, the bill eliminates the current 30-day timeline for single-family dwellings. The legislation also revises the reduction to building permit fees when a private provider is used to plan, review, or building inspect services from the amount of cost savings realized by the local enforcement agency to acquired 75% reduction. It reduces the current 10-day period for a building department to notify the applicant of information that's needed or to deem the application properly completed to only three calendar days, and it requires the notification to be in writing. Three calendar days would include the weekend. Obviously, there's grave concerns there because that could mean if you submit an application on a Friday, the building permit department would only have potentially Monday to approve that application. It also reduces the time frame after receiving a completed application, which the local government may need to notify an application that additional information is needed from 45 days to nine calendar days and requires that notice to be in writing. It does a lot of other things, cuts timelines down more. Jeff Scala testified raising concerns, especially over the use of the calendar days, as well as applications automatically being deemed correct. There's obviously a public safety concern when applications are being deemed correctly without a building department laying eyes on that application. So additionally, local governments, you know, may experience problems in recruiting and retention and decreased morale, especially in these smaller counties that don't have big staffs. And if we're going to decrease the timelines on some of these things, it just puts a very large strain on these departments. So we're obviously very concerned about the bill. We've been working hard on this one and um, we will see what happens. Well said. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, We've got yet another preemption uh, in the housing space. Uh, SB 1586 and its house companion 1417. Uh, Those are by Senator Trumbull and Representative Esposito, respectively. Uh, Both of those were on the move this week. This bill would preempt local governments from any regulation of the landlord-tenant relationship. Uh, Obviously, a number of our counties have passed Tenant Bill of Rights uh, and similar ordinances and resolutions over the last couple of years. So this would obviously 
impact those very directly. Um, it gives a non-exhaustive list of features that are preempted within the bill. This includes everything from regulation of security deposits, uh, rental agreement applications and fees, uh, as well as disclosure and notification requirements. I know a number of our counties have reached out and spoken to their own uh, notice requirements if a landlord were to raise the rent or terminate a tenancy. Uh, and so this is obviously something we will be opposing going forward. Okay, and next up, we had a couple of ag bills that we supported this week that have to deal with rural economic development. That is HB 1209 by Representative Shove and SB 1664 Economic Development by Senator Hooper. They both passed their first committee stops unanimously. HB 1209 removes the match requirement for grants awarded through the Rural Regional Development Grants Fund. It increases the funding cap on rural infrastructure fund grants from 50% to 75% of the total infrastructure project cost. And SB 1664 removes the requirement for the repaid funds from the Rural Development Revolving Loan Fund to be matched in order to be retained to fund future loans and many other things. These bills are both in our legislative action plan for 2023, so Jeff Scala was there to support those bills. Additionally, HB 13, Financial Assistance for Rural Counties, the bill requires an agency agreement to provide state or federal assistance to a rural county or rural area of opportunity, and it includes a provision that allows the agency to provide for the payment of invoices to the county for verified or an eligible for performance that has been completed in accordance with the terms and conditions set forth in the agreement and amendment was adopted that requires that agency agreements include a provision that allows the agency to provide the payment of invoices to the county for verified eligible performances that has been completed in accordance with the terms set forth. So we supported all of those bills in their respective committees. Next, we had two broadband bills pass in both the House and Senate committees this week. That is SB 626, Broadband Internet Service Providers by Senator Sigley and HB 1221 by Representative Tom Coe, they passed unanimously. This bill deals with the authority for rural electric cooperatives in Florida to provide communication services in the following circumstances. The cooperative provides broadband internet service directly or in partnership with a third party, or the cooperative receives broadband grant funding pursuant to the Florida Broadband Opportunity Program or from any other state or federal program offering grants to expand broadband internet access to unserved areas. The amendment clarified the bill applies to rural electric cooperative that engages in the provision of broadband either directly or through an affiliate or under an agreement from a third party. It granted the PCS access to books and records of rural electric cooperative and provides for the continued confidential treatment of certain records under existing under existing public records exemptions and it provided that the bill may not be construed to impair the contract rights of a party to a valid poll attachment agreement in existence before july 1st 2023 so both those bills passed with amendments and they moved to their respective committee stops which is senate rules and house commerce both their last committee stops last but not least we will end on a high note with a bill fact was able to support this week that was hb 745 emergency communications by 
by Representative McFarland. This bill deals with the E911 program, which is getting rebranded as the Emergency Communications Program. Uh, the bill specifically alters the composition and responsibilities of the board of the E911 program, as well as dealing with the underlying funding for the program. Currently, the program is funded uh, by a fee uh, charged by telecom service providers on their subscribers. Uh, this is then put into a trust fund and distributed to several different sources, uh, one of whom is the counties. Um, this would change the distribution formula for that fund, uh, giving counties a bigger piece of that pie. Specifically, counties will now be receiving 94% of the distributions in the wireless category. Uh, so like I said, they will be getting a bigger piece of that pie and fact staff was able to support this bill this week. And with that being said, we are wrapping up for the week. Uh, we tried to get in and out, you know, just quick business trip. Uh, it's going to be a short week next week, but we will see you then. Obviously, the legislature will be uh, out of the office Thursday and Friday for Easter break. Sarah, would you like to do the honors? Of course. It's not the critic who counts, not the person who points out how the strong person stumbles or the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena. And folks, we're in the arena right now, that's for sure. We'll see you next week. I love it. Have a good weekend, folks. <laughs>